A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hello, welcome to the Writer's Routine podcast. My name is Dan Simpson. Every week right here, we chat to an author who has planned, plotted and managed to get published. And we try to find out the secrets of how they've managed it. And we figure out if having a routine and planning your working day actually helps. Now, this week, our guest is Owen King. He's just released the book Sleeping Beauties, which he co-wrote with his dad, Stephen King. So you can expect loads of little tips from one of the most successful writing families ever. We chat about how the book started on the telly, uh, why art is always political, and also what it was like working with one of the most famous authors in history. When you're collaborating with somebody, you want to impress them. And so uh, he would send me something, and I'd think to myself, wow, this is great. I'm really going to have to kick a lot of ass in this next section. And so I would do my best to do that. And I think he would he would oftentimes say, wow, Owen did some really good things here. You know, how am I going to keep it up at this level? And so you're constantly trying to, you know, raise the music to the same volume that the other person has set it at. Stay there. It's all on the way on this week's Writer's Routine. Yes. Hello. Thank you so much for downloading Writer's Routine and for giving us a fraction of your day to listen to what we do. It's hugely appreciated. What I would appreciate even more, though, uh, if you fancied going a little bit extra, it is by giving Writer's Routine a review on iTunes. By the way, I'm massively thankful for however you're listening to the show. If it's um, Stitcher, Acast, Radio Public, any other podcast platform, uh, I'm really, really happy. Uh, I can't believe you've kind of taken the time to do it. It's just by leaving us a review on iTunes, you you can help do even more. You can help move us up the chart. We can get more people with dreams of becoming a writer uh, involved. And then we can get help from more of the most successful authors. I promise it takes like two seconds of your day. It's so easy as well. Just a few words letting me know that you're there, that you're listening, that you're loving what we do. Five stars would be really helpful as well uh, as the review. Just search Writer's Routine on iTunes. We've got a very good, huge guest on the show today. Owen King is the author of the book's double feature. Also, We're All In This Together, which is a collection of short stories. It's a novella. And he taught creative writing at Columbia University. He actually taught the thing that we talk about on this show every week. Uh, And his new book, Sleeping Beauties, is out right now. And it's all about what would happen if all the women in the world suddenly fell asleep. And it's due to be one of this Christmas's bestsellers. And he's co-written it with his dad, Stephen King. 
Now, I don't need to tell you that much about Stephen King, surely, if you're listening to a podcast all about writing. I'm guessing you know one of the most successful authors in history. He's published more than 50 books, including It, The Shining, Carrie, The Dark Tower series, and he's sold more than 350 million of them as well. So to chat to his son, who's also an author from the King dynasty, uh, I guess, it is quite a big deal for us. And it's really interesting to see how he talks of the pressure that comes with working with his dad and knowing he's writing for that huge, dedicated fan base. Uh, and we find out also how he needed to make that work. He took ownership of all the work that happened in this book. It's really fascinating. One of the most interesting conversations I think we've ever had on this show. Uh, two things to remember before we get going. Number one, he's got an American accent, Owen King. I love American accents. The brevity and the assurance that Americans speak with is just in- incredible. So enjoy that part of the show. The second thing to remember very quickly is due to a microphone error on my part, uh, the quality of the audio at the start isn't so great. I mean, it's fine. It's still perfectly listenable. You can still understand everything that's being said, but it's not up to our usual incredibly high (laughs) uh, standard. I kind of understand what's going on after a few minutes uh, and sort out the whole situation. So then we're back to normal. But just bear with us for a few minutes. And very quickly, our Distinguished Diary this week features the weird and wonderful writing routine of the poet W.H. Auden. And to help him write, he used things back then that you're not allowed to use now. They helped him sharpen his mental kitchen, as he calls it. You can find out loads more about what they were in just a sec. First, let's get into our guest on this week's show, Owen King, with his writer's routine. Well, I don't work every day, but I work as often as I can. It's sometimes just not possible, but I will get up at about seven and I will get uh, my daughter ready for school. That happens, and then around 9, 9.15, 9.30, I make my way to my office. I fiddle around with email and the internet until about 10.30. Then I try to make some pages from 10.30 to 12, 12.30. I have lunch. I come back at... 1, 1.15, I check my email again, and then I try to write from 1.30 to 3, 3.30. Then I knock off. I want to talk about the big question that everyone wants to ask when they find out you, you've co-written a book with your dad. How does that work? You're, you're, yep. you're writing through the day, you're in your study. Novel writing is traditionally quite a lonely process. How is it working when you're writing with someone else? How do you share ideas? How do you get stuff done on paper? What's going on? With this book, we... We had written a couple episodes. We, the idea, we had originally decided we were going to do this as a TV miniseries. And so we had these two television episodes, and we really liked them, but we both thought it was more of a novel. It needed to be expanded. There were things that we wanted to explore that we hadn't explored. And so what was helpful was that we had, just talking back and forth, worked out the things that we wanted to have happen in those two episodes, and now now we had them on paper. We had a kind of scaffolding. So we had this fairly detailed outline it was just a screenplay and so we used that outline as the scaffolding for the first 150 pages of the book it gave us all the events it didn't give us any of the perspectives or or the prose but it gave us everything that was going to happen in the first 150 pages of the book 
One of us started and wrote 25 or 30 pages and sent it back to the other person. The other person would rewrite and then add on another 25 or 30 pages and so on and so forth. My dad's written uh, collaborative novels with other people and I don't know how that worked, but for me, I have to be able to take ownership of the other person's writing and I feel like they therefore deserve to be able to take ownership of my writing, which meant we rewrote each other. When he would send me some pages, I would rewrite them and that means I would cut words, I would change sentences, uh, I wasn't, you know, heedlessly stirring around obviously, but there were things that I wanted to add and things that I wanted to take away and trim and just polish it up to my satisfaction and vice versa. So that's one of the reasons why when you read this book, hopefully it's a seamless experience because the two of us have our hands on everything. And the other thing we did was, uh, it, it was very important to me to do everything we could for people not to be able to read the book and say, oh, Steve wrote this, you know? My dad's got m many, many fans and I wanted, I didn't feel like that was gonna be a great uh, look for me, for people to look through the book and say, oh, Steve wrote this, so this is what's interesting to me. Owen wrote this, I don't care about this. You know, I wanted people to, to read it fairly. Uh, another thing we did was that we would leave holes in the chapters or in the sections. And so, say I had written a section, uh, in the middle of it somewhere, I would write my dad a note and I would say, Dad, here's where I want the scene about Lila uh, going to such and such a place. She's gonna have a conversation with this particular character and I was thinking this also might happen. You write that. And so he would fill that in. And so, you know, in the first draft, every 35, 40 page section might be written by one person, but in there somewhere would be some first draft material by the other person. And so we continually uh, filled in spaces for each other. You talk about giving yourself freedom to take ownership of stuff that he's written and to rewrite it. Now, this might sound quite aggressive. Uh, I don't mean this question yep. to sound that aggressive, but what gives you the right to, to tell one of the world's most successful authors what he can do better? I think that it's it's not about doing something better. It's more about um, flavoring the writing so that it's partly one's own and feeling like you can for one thing i think if you're collaborating with somebody uh from a position of awe that's not going to work you know you have to uh feel like we're going into this as equal partners and part of that is if you have some ideas to improve a certain section you can add those in uh, and I think it would be the same thing that you would find in a writer's room. You can't be awestruck that that's your boss or that that's your coworker. You still have to be able to dig in and throw your eyes ideas out there and make your contribution. And so I think ultimately for me, a collaboration just can't work unless I feel like I'm a part of it all the way through. And I, and I also think that that's part of creating a seamlessness you, you don't want your collaboration to be hitchy you don't want it to feel like a collage where you can see the edges of it you want it to feel like a smooth planned 
storytelling experience with a lot of intent. You don't want it to feel pieced together. You spoke about the pressure, I guess, in having Stephen King on the top of it and and making Mm -hmm. sure people weren't reading it thinking... Uh, well, th- these are the good bits, yep. uh, and these are clearly not th- the good bits yeah. uh, on, on the same level. Um, how much do you think that consciously made you change how you write? D- do you think that's it's a? Do you think that's quite a healthy environment thing to be doing? Is to constantly be thinking, well, I need to work up to this level. For the most part, it it was healthy because, and I think he would say the same thing is that when you're collaborating with somebody, you want to impress them, and so. Uh, he would send me something and I'd think to myself, wow, this is great. I'm really going to have to kick a lot of ass in this next section. And so I would do my best to do that. And I think he would, he would oftentimes say, wow, Owen did some really good things here. You know, how am I going to keep it up at this level? And so you're constantly trying to, you know, raise the music to the same volume that the other, the other person has set it at. I had the, just the one sentence pitch, which was something like, what would happen if all the women in the world didn't wake up, I think was what it was. And it actually doesn't play exactly like that, but that was the, that was the one sentence pitch. And, uh, I don't, I wouldn't normally call my dad up and, and, uh, pitch him a story. Uh, that's something that he gets a lot in his regular life is people wandering up to him and saying, boy, Steve, have I got a horror story for you? You know, I got your next novel for you. So I wouldn't normally do that. But in this case, it struck me, wow, there's a lot, just in that one sentence that you could do. And it seemed to me that the ramifications would be just totally horrible. And naturally that made me think of my dad because he specializes in stories like that. And so I told him and he loved the idea. And I said, great, go write it because this wasn't really in my wheelhouse. I didn't think it wasn't just that I haven't written a ton of fantasy. It was that it seemed like a long project to me it seemed like a lot to chew on it would either have to be teeny tiny like a half page short story or it would have to be really long all that said to me that it was more than i wanted to get into and so i thought he should he should take it if he liked it but he didn't want to and we went back and forth for a while uh he wanted me to do it and eventually settled on collaborating and and i think that we both felt like doing it as a as a tv miniseries was a little bit less of an undertaking than a book uh, because when you're writing a screenplay, there's just a lot less writing. And uh, and we really liked what we had, but as I was saying earlier, there was just a lot of things, a lot, a lot of world to explore that we weren't exploring in the TV show because what we had written was had a really breakneck pace. And we wanted to slow it up and spread it out. And, uh, and so then, yeah, then we just got started and you know, took turns. We sort of swore an oath not to say who wrote what, but we, you know, went back and forth. And, you know, ultimately someone wrote, you know, 51% of the book and someone wrote 49%, but I couldn't tell you who that is. You know, it's just in the nature of things. Uh, and we never worked in the same room. Uh, we did it all over. Well, actually, we worked at the, in the same room at the very, very end, but we, we did it all over uh, email and over the phone. We would just have like a daily conversation about what's going on. And then at the very, very end, I think the one, you know, writers tend to be control freaks. And I think the one thing that was a little, a little bit tough about collaborating was that at the end, somebody has to be the last person to hold the manuscript. Um, and so actually in the end, what we did is we sat together and just went over the very last copy edits together uh, so that we could both, you know, release it at the same time. 
Now we're back with more from Owen King in just a sec where we talk about politics in art and how his characters force him to change his mind. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Remember, there are so many ways that you can keep up to date with everything that's going on on Writer's Routine. You can give us a follow on Instagram. We're at Writer's Routine on there, where you can see shiny, lovely, incredibly well photoshopped pictures. Uh, We've also got video teases and behind the scenes stories from our chats with the authors as well. On Twitter, we are at Writer's Pods. It's a great way of staying across and keeping up to date with everything that we're doing on the show. And as always, you can hear all of our old episodes, find the ways to subscribe to us and you can get in touch with the show on our website, which is writersroutine.com. Right, time for Distinguished Diaries then. Every week we get the weird and wonderful writing routine of one of history's most successful authors. Today, it's the poet W.H. Auden. Now, Auden actually said, routine in an intelligent man is a sign of ambition. And to that end, as an intelligent man, he made sure he kept to one. He was an absolute stickler for making sure that things were done on time. He was constantly checking his watch and all parts of his day from doing the crossword to making sure the postman came on time. uh, They were observed with ridiculously meticulous precision. He believed that this was essential to kind of reining in and working with the muse of his creativity. Now, he rose at around six in the morning. He got to work quickly as well. Uh, He understood that he worked best early in the day, between around 7 and 11.30, he said. And he insisted that he made the most of this. And he never worked at night. It's brilliant. He was so dismissive of those that dared to work in the evening as well. Now, after a break for lunch, he got back to rigorously strict work until he forgot all about the written word uh, and just got to chatting and conversing with his mates who came round almost every day for cocktail hour. 6.30 sharp this started. He would drink martinis, wine and eat with his guests and talk until around 11. And apparently he drank copious amounts of wine as well. 
Uh, and if you're kind of wondering how he managed that routine, being up so late at night and then being up so early the next morning, well, get this, to maintain energy and concentration, apparently Auden relied on amphetamines. Uh, he would take them every morning, probably as you would take a Barocca and some vitamins, and they would perk him up and make him concentrate, and to do the reverse, he would use a sedative every single night to get to sleep. He called this routine the chemical life, uh, and he regarded drugs like this as labour-saving devices of the, the mental kitchen, which is a brilliant way to chat about your brain. It's just a shame that that way of describing how smart you are, you, that you're tuning your mental kitchen, the phrase would look a bit lost on your CV on LinkedIn nowadays, right? Auden, though, he was wise enough to note that these stimulants that he was taking, they were liable to injure the cook, and they were enough to break his mental kitchen down from time to time. Let's get back then to our chat with Owen King, co-writer of Sleeping Beauties with his dad, Stephen King. And it gets a little bit deeper in this second half because we talk about the role of art in politics. There's a few mentions of President Trump in there as well. And also we find out how he built that initial one line pitch. You know, what would happen if all the women in the world fell asleep? And we talk about how his characters, who he's come to know very well, by the way, they're almost part of the King family themselves. We find out how they started to change his mind. I'm sure you get this a lot. And I think it's frustrating to talk about writers routines uh, because you do a lot of writing in an almost like a fugue state. And uh, it can be a little bit hard to remember how you did figure things out. But I can tell you that when we we had that one sentence idea what we tried to do was to think of story elements that would play that up. And so the idea of using a women's prison as a setting came up right away because here is a setting that already has an inbuilt tension to it. And if you add in that all the prisoners are trying to stay awake, then you've got two, you know, it's an extra twist of the screw so that was the first element that we thought of is that we wanted to use a women's prison as the setting as one of the central settings for this phenomenon. And, uh, and then we thought about, you know, well, who are the people in the prison and who are the people that work at the prison? Uh, and so that, you know, Clint is the prison psychiatrist and Jeanette is one of the prisoners and Angel is one of the prisoners. And then we thought of, Oh, well, Clint's married to Lila and maybe she's the sheriff. And so that creates an interesting tension you know, where one person is the psychiatrist of the prison, he's all about rehabilitation, and she's all about catching people who break the law. And so, this, you know, you're trying to build up all these different relationships that are tense, you know, that have a push and a pull to them. So once we set some of those elements in place, and then we thought of Evie, what is the um, activating element what is what makes all this happen? And that's Evie. And then so we talked about who she would be. It's interesting. This is kind of a different way that a lot of other authors I've spoken to plan their characters in that they kind of get to know every meticulous detail about their character. They chuck them in a room, see what happens. Mm-hmm. Whereas you're almost writing your characters to spec of the plot. I think that's true. I think that's true. But once you... They exist only for the plot when you start, Right but then they have to become real. And that's where you're uh, exploring their backstory and thinking about how they interplay with each other. And as they become real, they force changes 
to the narrative and that and that's when you have to do some improvisation and some discussion with the you know because Clint starts out as the prison psychiatrist, but then as we learn more about him, he doesn't necessarily behave the way that we originally planned. It would be pretty leaden, pretty dull if he behaved just the way we wanted him to behave to get through the story. You you have to allow them some a lot of agency. And how are you keeping track of their agency? As I say, 72 characters yep. in the book. Uh, do you think some are more detailed than others? Do you know a lot more about some characters than you do about others? How are you keeping track of everything along the way? Well, so we we had the scripts that gave us the first 150, 200 pages, most of the events, and told us some stuff about some of the important characters. And we took that and we turned it into an outline of that beginning stuff. And so we had two simultaneous documents. If I was writing... Uh, a section of the book, I would write 25 or 30 pages. And at the same time, I would also add in uh, developments about characters, scenes I was thinking about coming up, where I thought it might go. And so by the time we had reached the halfway mark of the book, our outline was complete. We knew everything that was going to happen from that point out. And also, at the front of the outline, you say there's 72 characters at the front of the outline there was the original version of the character list and within that there would be entries you know we would clip out descriptions that we had used of the characters and we talked about what was driving them in these little entries and so you could always flip to the front of the outline and think okay yeah let, now i remember what van lampley who's the uh, one of the captains of the guard at the prison. Now I remember what she's all about and what, what what was happening the last time we saw her and where we want her to go. You know, it's quite elaborate. Any review for this book will immediately say it's allegorical. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you, you can't really write a book like this now where half of the population and specifically a whole gender is falling yep. asleep. Today, right now, you're getting into play with gender politics. What are you meaning to say uh, using this tale about the way the world is, about how small town America is, or are you simply just telling a story? I think that all art is political in some sense. And it's naive when people say, I like such and such Stephen King book because it wasn't political. You know, it's a false reading. It's always political. It's always saying something about the way people interact and uh, that's sort of the heart of politics. And I, with this book, I think there is a lot to think about in terms of the way that the male characters and the way that the female characters react under stress and the expectations that they have for each other and hopefully we created portraits that ring true to people, you know, it's not a political platform. It's a story that has political ramifications if people want to read those into them. But also, once you write a book, it belongs to the world. Other people get to decide what it means to them, you know? Certainly no one, just to take an example, no one who reads this book is going to come away thinking that we have, that either the authors have confidence in vigilante justice or the ability of private gun owners to fix things. 
on their own. You know, nobody who reads the book is going to, you know, it's not going to be a surprise for me to say that I don't think your average homeowner needs an AR-15 to protect themselves. You know, no one, no one who reads the book would be surprised to hear me say that, but that's not... Um, I didn't write the book in order to tell them that message. See what I'm saying? Absolutely. Just, I think, my, lastly, just very quickly on the, your, your ideas of literature being political. Uh, your dad is quite an outspoken critic of, of President Trump. Sure. How much responsibility do you think literature has in trying to change the way the political landscape is at the moment, especially someone as successful and famous as your dad is with such a dedicated fan base? Do you think that there is a responsibility there to to mold views well mold views change views i don't know that's really up to the people that have them but you i think as an artist as a storyteller it would be disingenuous to you know write a story that presents a a world view that's not honest that's not truthful so i think you have that duty for sure but i don't think it's about i don't know how you can you know definitively change minds with that all you can do is just make it and see how people react Right, that is it for this week's Writer's Routine. Huge thanks to Owen King for coming on the show to talk shop. I was very conscious, by the way, just between us, uh, not to ask too many dad questions. I mean, he must get asked about Stephen King co-writing with him all the time. So I did that at the start, then I tried to move on quite swiftly. I hope you noticed that. So thank you very much to him for putting up with all the ones that I did kind of squeeze in there. Now, you can get the novel Sleeping Beauties right now. We've got a handy link for you on our website. And while you're on there, you can catch up with all our old episodes. You can get in touch as well. That is writersroutine.com. Remember, for behind-the-scenes clips, teases, and videos, follow us on Instagram and on Twitter to find out what we're up to. And give us a subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from as well. And if that place is iTunes, make sure you leave us a review too. Because a lot of work goes on into making this show for you. Uh, you know, emailing publishers, authors, reading books, writing questions, recording, scripting, editing, photoshopping, emailing authors again to try and get them to tweet it out, all of that stuff. Uh, it takes a lot of work. So I'd love you to just take two minutes from your day and leave Writer's Routine a review on iTunes. It's so easy to find us on there and say hello and let other people know you're enjoying the show. Now we're back next week with a debut crime writer who's got a big old whiteboard. I'll see you then, next week on Writer's Routine. Bye! Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 